So the Vatican recently released its preparation documents and handbook for the upcoming Synod on Synodality. Preparations begin at the diocesan level next month, and the Vatican Synod itself will be in 2023. But it is already causing some confusion. So Bishop Caggiano is going to do his best to clear some of that up for us at this early stage. In the second segment, I asked him to talk about patience following on the wonderful four-minute reflection he posted on social media earlier this week. All of that is coming up next, so keep it right here at 1350 AM on your radio or on the Veritas mobile app on your phone. The app is a great option since you can listen to the live broadcast or you can grab episodes you missed. Download the app on your phone at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. It is that time of year again, and Foundations in Faith will soon be accepting applications for Youth in Action grants. The program will fund three diocesan initiatives that are by youth and for youth for up to $5,000. To be eligible, applicants must be members of a Catholic high school or a parish high school-aged youth group or a Catholic young adult group. Applications must also emphasize evangelization, collaboration, or justice and equity for historically underserved populations in their proposed programs. So keep an eye on the Foundations in Faith website. Applications go live on Foundations in Faith website on October 4th and will close on November 19th at midnight. To learn more or to apply, visit foundationsinfaith.org and click on Youth in Action Grants at the top of the page. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. All right, I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Good morning, Steve. Good, good to see you. Hi, Excellency. Um, For the second time. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, technical issues on my my end. So I apologize. I thank you for hanging with there. But for the listener, hey, welcome. <laughs> welcome, absolutely. <laughs> we, you, we're talking about, um, Excellency, the uh, Synod on Synodality, which mm-hmm. um, is coming in a couple years, but the, the preparation manuals and the handbook have just been released, and we're going to start mm-hmm. at the diocesan level next yes. month. So right. uh, I guess there's a lot of confusion that has already come out, which you know is par for the course these days, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But maybe you can kind of walk us through what we're looking at, what is a synod, and mm-hmm. kind of give mm-hmm. us, a, you know, clear, clear things up for us. Right. Well, I think part of the confusion is that um, certainly the synodal process in Germany um, basically started before this synod on synodality was called. And people are hearing what's being done and some of the things that are being said in social media. And they are probably confused in, in the different voices that are being heard. Um, but I also think part of why we're having this synod on synodality is to correct the misapprehensions about that process and, quite frankly, to unveil um, a methodology which could very well become a permanent structure of the church. Right? But for our listeners, particularly those who are in the Diocese of Bridgeport, I mean, you will all remember that we had a diocesan synod about five, six years ago maybe actually more now, it's closer to seven years ago. And those who were part of that synod or heard of it will remember that the two pieces of the synod, the two animating principles of the synod, are can be defined this way. It's listening and discernment. Listening to both the, the signs of the times to be honest and reflect on what is it that we are facing, experiencing obstacles, challenges, opportunities in any given local place, which are different, right? In different parts of the country, different parts of the world. And then discerning, that is not deciding, not deciding, discerning, that is to listen to what the Holy Spirit 
moves in the hearts of those who may be delegates, those who participate, as to how to respond to the challenges, obstacles, or opportunities. Okay, notice what I did not mention. I did not mention to sit and determine what, you know, what we believe or what you like or don't like about what we believe, because that is totally irrelevant. Nobody cares. Okay, least of which the Holy Spirit. Right. Because the truth is the truth, who is Jesus Christ. This is not dependent on my opinion, what I accept, it's irrelevant. It is what it is, all right? Now, how I live that truth, that very much depends on my opinions and my thoughts, absolutely. Because the goal is to effectively hear the offer of salvation and to have it transform my life, right? So, you know, to think it's just an absolute objective reality, you just put it out there and you take it or leave it is not what the Lord intended either, right? Uh, I've come not for the righteous, I've come for sinners. But it doesn't change the content of it. It may change the method, the tactics, the, 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 the way one approaches someone. It, it may force us to, to, to come out of our comfort zone in different ways. Anyway, so, so, so that's what we did, right? And... You know, there was a healthy, fiery exchange of opinions at times. People did not always agree, whether diagnosing what the challenges were, as well as what, are the, what, what is it the Holy Spirit is asking of us? How do you prioritize? Where do you begin? How do you begin? Okay, so that is a primer for what the Holy Father is asking for the global church. Right. So we've spoken about the Synod on Youth and Young Adults. I had the great privilege to be a delegate, right? But the only participants, official participants, are bishops at the Synod. And the goal would be the bishop to have the listening session, to gain consultation, and bring all of that with him to the Roman gathering. So that the Pope could instruct the Church on how to deal with, effectively, whatever the issue is at hand. Right, whether it's new evangelization, family life, youth and young adults, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so what this methodology is suggesting is that the bishops will still remain the delegates to the synod, but to give the ability for the faithful, the clergy, and the religious to have a more direct role in what? Listening and discerning to speak frankly of their experience and to be able to invite the Holy Spirit to, to the extent that it happens, move their hearts towards giving input on how to deal with whatever the challenges and obstacles may be. But once again, it's not a question of, and therefore we're going to change what we believe to fit this challenge. That is not how it works. We in America, because we're a, a fairly democratic country, we see an assembly of individuals as decision makers. No. The only decider here is the Lord. The Lord loves us beyond our ability to love ourselves or those around us, beyond our wildest imagination. And therefore, he has already foreseen and willed the good for us. Our job is to discern what the Lord has already in store for us, not to decide it for ourselves. And in our modern culture, which is very subjective, very self-centered in that sense, and we're the agent of everything we've spoken about, then to go into a process that is more passive, that allows for listening and discernment, not decision-making, right, or deciding, or compromise, or no. It's, it's a hard transition. So this first, this first test run, if I may, is to test methodology. It's to help people to understand that baptism allows us all as temples of the Holy Spirit to listen and to discern. The Holy Spirit is moving all of us, okay, all in our hierarchical vocational structure that we have. So the Vadimekum and the preparatory document that came out in mid-September outlines clearly how we could do this to engage as many voices as possible in the listening and discernment. But it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, having said all that, we look to Germany. 
And there's lots of different voices coming out of Germany. I mean, it predates this, right? And I think some of the delegates there have this idea that they are going to, you know, be the harbingers of um, change for the church, change, quote-unquote change. So some of the topics being addressed are wildly inappropriate for a synod of a, of a national church, okay? Because they touch on universal discipline and they touch, quite frankly, on dogmatic and doctrinal issues which only an ecumenical council in union with the Pope can teach in its extraordinary magisterium and the Pope in ordinary magisterium, which is binding on all the faithful. No local church can definitively teach faith and morals. Okay? It can reiterate faith and morals. It can explicate faith and morals. It has no ability to do anything uh, definitively to significantly develop or change faith and morals. So those voices in Germany should have read this Vadi Mekum and prepared their document before they started that process. <laughs> They're going to have to learn now what the limits are, which is unfortunate, right? Because I'm not suggesting any malevolent intention. I, I think they may have entered into this with this notion that they really do have this, this ability to speak to the substance of faith in morals when they don't. They're going to have to learn it, right? But this will help all of the church understand what it is and what it is not to be in synod. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. You uh, Earlier, um, <laughs> before our technical difficulties, you, you uh, explicitly differentiated between an ecumenical council and a synod. And, and you just did it just now without saying that the other is an ecumenical council. But um, Right. That, that well, makes may I give you an example? Let yes. me give you an example. Nicaea, Nicaea, um, Constantinople, Ephesus, and, and Chalcedon, the, the four ecumenical councils that wrestled within 120 years of how to express the mystery of who Christ is, God made man, within a philosophical context, which was different from the scriptural context right, that is described in the Gospels we have now. Because in that modern world, with philosophy and the, and the, the, the rise of philosophy understood by more and more individuals, right, there was an absolute need to be able to um, speak relevantly to individuals that engaged reason and was faithful to faith, to the scriptural witness. So they struggled to do that. But only an ecumenical council can do that. And that which it, it promulgates with the authority of the Pope is then binding. But you have the voices of the whole world because see, the other issue, interesting thing is, there are some who say, well, you know, in the preparatory document, the Holy Father says you have to engage Catholics who are not active in, in their parishes. You have to engage people of other religious traditions. And you say to yourself, well, what would they know about faith and morals? And does that weaken what the church is able to do? Well, two reactions to that. To the listening piece, sometimes even the most faithful do groupthink. To have those who have walked away say back to us why they walked away is important for us who have not walked away to hear. What is it? Because many times, Steve, it's not the substance of faith that's the problem. It's the faulty witness of Christians that's the problem. Yes. It's the lack of integrity. It's the hypocrisy. It's the saying one thing, doing another. That is part of the listening that has to go on in any synodal process. It's not so much that, you know, we have to change X, I have to change me. <laughs> right? So in the listening, they have a perspective that we may not have if we gather as only the faithful. Right? 
And the other piece to this puzzle about the census fidelium, that is the sense of the faithful, that also is inerrant, right? That census fidelium doesn't just include us who happen to be alive on mid-September, whenever it is now, uh, 2020, right? Or 2021. This includes everyone who believes from the apostles on. The church exists in space and in time, not just in space. So when you talk about the census fidelium, you're engaging Augustine and Aquinas and Charles Borromeo and Mother Teresa and Saints Peter and Paul and my mother and, and everybody else for that matter <laughs> who were believers, faithful. Yeah. So the idea that you have these voices coming in to change the sense of fidelium, I think is, you know, I think it's an unfounded fear. If we really listen, if the whole church listens, yeah, not just the people who happen to be sitting in front of me. Right. Th does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does make sense, Excellency. So uh, th then this, uh, this concern about, or you know, the census fidelium uh, mm -hmm. with regard to the synod and synodality, um, at, it's brought up by, you know, Ed Condon, who's a faithful son of the church, but he, he's, I guess his, he didn't say this is going to happen, but he said he worries that the door is open for this to happen, that, that people, the invitation for people who rarely or never practice their faith, people from other religions to have input in this mm -hmm. might cause more confusion it will cause more confusion in the minds and in the actions of those who do not understand what the church is, do not understand what the census fidelium, do not understand how a synod works. And quite frankly, it is a good thing we're doing this because to hide that under the carpet is only weakening the whole fabric and structure of the church. A synod is meant to be a fiery place. It is meant to be a place where people, sisters and brothers, gently but directly challenge each other. We're not a glee club. We're the mystical body of Christ, right? And if we are a true family, then there has to be that fiery exchange. So if right. someone says X, you will say, excuse me, where'd you get X from? Where'd that come from? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So then, okay. So then about the synod on synodality itself, it starts, by the way, I mean, the way you describe it and the way we've seen it here in the Diocese of Bridgeport Synods are very, very useful, especially on the local level, how to reach the local people. And, mm -hmm. and you've, you've talked about how that has really played out that way here in Bridgeport. Um, mm -hmm. So the Synod on Synodality, it's going to start with listening sessions on the local level around the world. Yes, every, every parish and every diocese is asked to participate. What I have asked from the pastors is that they choose four individuals who will be commissioned and have an orientation session from me and Deacon Stephen Hotson, who is a diocesan coordinator, kind of facilitator, on the 16th of October. And they will go back and work with their pastors to set up consultation however the pastor believes is the most effective. So for example, parish could have listening sessions if it chose to. You could, the pastor could ask his delegates to attend a meeting of every society and organization and lay out some of these issues before them, right? Um, you could do consultation informally by having the delegates invite people to their homes for dinner. I mean, however it's done, it will not be the same in every parish, but the pastor's responsibility is to allow his people to participate including clergy and professional staff. Hmm. And then each parish will put a, a brief summary together in a format we will have. And Deacon Holtzen's job would be to synthesize what he hears from those 79 reports into a single report that cannot be more than 10 pages. Again, a synod does not get involved in the weeds. Right. That's where the listening and discernment, the discernment comes from factoring out my concerns, my pet peeves, 
what I want to complain about, what I think we should change. It factors all that out because the higher you get, the more generic the theme may be. But if it's truly the Holy Spirit guiding it, that whatever that generic observation is, truly is at the heart of what needs to be done. Hmm. It's almost like a purification process. Again, if it's done correctly. And then the point is with a synod like this is all the diocese will report to the USCCB. That will then go in a single report to Rome that has to synthesize reports from all the dioceses and archdioceses of the world. Right? The more removed you become, the more generic it becomes by default. But yeah. on the national level, there is a tremendous benefit to hear, even in our country, what are the themes that the various regions share in common, right? And I think that's extremely important. You know, I recently, last week, I went to Utah to give a talk. I was with Legatus the week after in Arizona. You could sense, and, and only for overnight trips, overnight trips, which was a lot more than I realized. But anyway, but the point <laughs> is, you could sense that the, the culture of the church is different from New England. You could right. sense it right away. When I went to St. Louis in August, I was walking through the airport and I, I, at least 25 people said to me, good morning, Father, how are you, Father? And I'm, you know, in LaGuardia, if they did that to me, I, I'd like to start worrying, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, and, and so it's, um, and so I wonder when all these reports are in, what is it we all share in common that we have seen as challenges, as obstacles, as opportunities? And what's particular to our region yeah. that other places don't have? Yep. That alone would be extraordinarily helpful for us to know. You know, it, no. <laughs> thank, thank God we have the Holy Spirit on our side because it sounds impossible because even the, like you said, the regional differences here in the states, never mind Eastern Europe, Sub-Saharan Africa, Asia. I mean, um, so so that it goes but to. If the, I may, but but yes. may allow me to interrupt, Steve. For a However, there are global factors at play, and I'll give you a perfect example. Okay, um, in India. There are 800 million users of the internet on a daily basis. Wow. Okay. And which dwarfs anything we have here in the United States. But my question is, how is technology affecting the act of faith, worship, community structure? How is it affecting in the United States? And how is it similar or different from what's happening in India? Yeah among Christians, right? So in a sense, there are global challenges, right? But there are particular ways they create obstacles um, and opportunities that uh, from Rome's point of view, to hear that would be fascinating because if there's a way for the American, us in the American, to hear how they're dealing with it in India or wherever else it may be, wouldn't that enrich our life? Because hmm. maybe they're doing it better than we are. Maybe they're doing it worse than we are. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, then the, the heart of it, this all is then, um, you alluded to the name, the Synod on Synodality. I mean, to me, it almost sounds like a Monty Python thing. Yes. But, but, so, but the idea of it is um, that, that, uh, to empower local synods to really be able to robustly present the faith or i i would say this i think its purpose this first round this ongoing is to reacquaint the people of god all the members of the church of an essential aspect of the church's nature and help people to struggle through all the problems they're going to have to understand it correctly. And in our country, for example, some of the challenges we're going to face is 
um, people who will slip into thinking a synod is a democracy, an act of democracy or a Congress, to slip into believing that we gather so that we just don't listen, but that we decide, we act, mm -hmm. right? to learn the skills of discernment, which most Catholics find very difficult to do. Just three examples of there going to be challenges we're going to have to struggle with for many years for the synodal process to truly be rooted and do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, That's why I called it field testing, because I am not naive. I'm a lot of things, but I'm not naive. And um, this will be very hard to do correctly. And we should be honest enough, if we're not doing it correctly, to, to, to say why and address the, the, those reasons. Yeah. Right? But that will better the life of the church. Yeah. And let me just say one other thing, too, since I'm on a roll here. We've talked so often, you and I, right, about the divisions in the church, tribalism in the church, all the rest of it. If we actually came to understand what a synod really is and what the obligation and baptism for all the members of the church in any synod, it would be the, 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 the most potent antidote to the tribalism and division we see in the life of the church. Mm. Because it's rooted with this inordinate desire to think you're going to solve the problems because of your methodology or what you've decided, which a synod says is irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. Is irrelevant. <laughs> right? Well, it's it sounds like we all need to get on our knees, get in front of the Blessed Sacrament and start praying for the success of this synod. Um, yeah, or, or at least... Um, that it laid the, the groundwork for an ever-evolving, quote-unquote, success. That yeah, is, a right. real renewal in people's minds of your and my proper place in animating and protecting and fostering the mystical body of Christ in the world, which is the church. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for clearing all that up because, and, and I'm sure... There's going to be continued confusion along the way, which oh. I'm sure will, you will continue to set us straight. So thanks. Add Excellent. to the confusion, my friend. <laughs> well, when we come back on the other side, Excellency, we're going to talk about, you had this a great reflection that you posted to social media earlier this week on patience. And mm -hmm. I saw it and I said, we need to talk more about that. So we'll do that mm -hmm. on the other side of the break. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provide in-ground burials as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. It makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces costs, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. And welcome back now to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, Excellency, I want to shift gears a little bit, uh, if it's okay with you. And I, um, 
I just, I loved your reflection on patience from last Sunday's gospel. And in, in case, in case there's anybody out there who missed it on social media, I thought, you know, we could give the audience a chance to, to kind of dive into it. And even you could dive mm-hmm. deeper than the four minute video. Yeah. Well, because it's something I desperately need to learn in my own life. Of my many faults, impatience is on the top of the list. Anybody who knows me, works with me, will be the first ones to say it. So this is the pot calling the kettle black. But having said that, uh, the truth is still the truth, right? Yes. All right. So, so the gospel was about Jesus instructing the apostles to say nothing of what he taught them about his upcoming uh, crucifixion and death. And it seems strange to us, right? Because he came to preach the good news. So why keep it hidden? It's the messianic secret, right? And of course, I'm ascribing a a, a motivation that I presume has some validity. But nonetheless, there's a spiritual lesson attached to it. And that is, it's not a question of would the Lord reveal it. It's when the Lord would reveal it. And... The obligation is to help people to effectively hear what you have to say. So that speaks to the manner of which we, we address someone, the words we use, and the when we do it. So the Lord was still preparing his people, the people around him, to be ready to hear it the way he would mean to teach it, not the way they would understand it because of the preconceived notions, their context, or they weren't ready, right? The apostles are a clear example, completely misunderstood it, right? So he says he's going to die on the cross, and they're talking about who's the greatest. Honestly, talk about a disconnect, right? <laughs> right. So, so it's the question of patience, right? Patience to wait, to overcome whatever obstacles in front of you, or to seize the opportunity at the right moment. So that was basically the reflection. And so therefore, from our perspective now, um, patience is, is a virtue. And I would recommend, first of all, I would recommend to everyone who's, who listens to the podcast. There's a book by the, by the, it's called Divine Intimacy by Father Gabriel. You're familiar with the book, yes? Yes. Steve? Superb book. Absolutely superb. And there's basically um, three pages for every day of the year. Now, it follows the old calendar, right? Because the book is fairly old. But nonetheless, it's just it's some of the best spiritual reading I've ever had, I've ever experienced in my life. And in, in the, um, the uh, 128, in the section 128, it's called Patience. It's three pages. And I would recommend Anyone who wants to go deeper into what patience is, is to just read those three pages if you can. And you could get the book online, actually. You could get it in an electronic version now, right? And if you allow me to quote, this is what Father Gabriel says. He says, patience is the virtue which makes us accept for love of God everything that is displeasing to our nature without allowing ourselves to be depressed by the sadness which easily comes over us when we meet with disagreeable things. So, we accept the hardships, the challenges, the pains and sufferings. We don't rail against them. We face them or bear them. And patience is that virtue that allows you to do that. It also is the virtue that allows you to discern when it is time to act and when it's time not to act, when it's time to say something and when it's not the time to say something. Patience creates that waiting so that you have the opportunity to discern. And in most cases, we are patient with the sufferings that we have in our life. Now, Father uses two different words here, to face and to bear. They're not the same thing. Because there are, as he points out, there are sufferings, difficulties, where we need to face them and courageously overcome them. 
confront them, challenge them. Okay. And of course, patience is required to determine when you do that and how you do that. But then there are sufferings that you bear. That is, there's no immediate response. There's no immediate way to address them. And I'll give you a perfect example. A chronic illness. There could be medical intervention, all that you do, but the illness is still there. So how do you, how do you bear that? It's with the gift of patience. Patience and fortitude are intimately connected. Because fortitude, what, is that, that, that cardinal virtue that allows you to stand firm and resolute in whatever is there before you, in the decision you make, the behavior you need to follow, or the situation that you have to confront, right? Patience is the animating principle, right, that allows you to face, bear, to wait, to wait. And then he goes on to say this point, is that <clears throat> what animates Christian patience is fixing your eyes on Jesus, Right? Because in the end, if you think you're suffering, look at the cross of Jesus Christ, and you're not the only one who suffered. Our suffering pales in comparison to the suffering that the Lord willingly took on for our sake, not for his. He didn't need to suffer for his own sake. So when you look at that, and you look upon the face of Jesus, that's where you learn, you and I learn, how to be patient. Right? And remember, Jesus did what he did in free offering for everyone, even those who didn't appreciate it, even those who didn't want it. So the definition of Jesus's patience is precisely that. So ours gets animated by his. So when you're tempted, like which is like for me 40 times a day to be impatient, right? I have to say to myself, all right, calm yourself down now, Frank. Right? There, there are more important things and, you know, if the Lord was standing here, what would his response be? And it gets me every time. Right? So, so, so when we speak of the patience of Jesus, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus bearing the sins and sufferings of us all voluntarily. When we bear our sufferings and our sins because of the consequence of either who we are, our broken nature, or the things we have done. And we as Christians do not spend many times enough time reflecting on the enormity of the example of patience Jesus gave us in his life. Because what do we do? What we do is we ask questions like, well, why am I suffering? Why is this challenge? God, why did you send this to me? Like, why do I have to deal with this now? And all of that is a manifestation in some way, shape, or form of, a, a, I'm going to say, a form of impatience. Because really what you're saying is, Lord, I don't want this now. Get rid of it because uh, I'm not waiting for this. I'm not bearing this. I'm not facing this. Just get rid of it. And many times there's silence. And then what do you do in a moment like that? You have, to, you have to admit to yourself, if God is permitting this, not necessarily willing it, but permitting it, he's permitting it for my good. So should I not bear it? Or if I can overcome it, should I not face it with courage, with patience, so that I can be the person the Lord has always meant me and wanted me to be? You know, it's, it's an interesting, when I was at Legatus last week for their national board meeting, there was a priest who gave the talk at the chapter of Tucson and Phoenix, a legionary. And Father John made a beautiful image of what the cross means. And I must confess, I've been thinking about it ever since. He said the cross is created at the intersection of the Lord's will and my will. The Lord's will and my will. To the extent that I cannot accept patiently the Lord's will, I'm creating the cross. So I'm going in an opposite direction. One's horizontal, one is vertical. Isn't that a great image? Yeah. Wow. Right? 
So that's exactly what we're talking about. Patience allows you to say, okay, right? Then let me just go in the same direction. Let me bear with this because I have to believe because it's the, the grammar of our faith that whatever I'm enduring is for the good of myself, the good of the people around me, for the salvation of us all. See, that's a patient person can do that. Mm-hmm. I know that um, the Lord tells us, like he told uh, St. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you when you get to that p- point. But, mm-hmm. you know, day in, day out, Excellency, it feels like such a long way from, you know, where I am to being there where, where you're describing. Well, oh, without a doubt. Oh, yeah, of course, without a doubt. Because the submission of our will to the will of God when we understand it and when we don't, it's probably the greatest challenge of Christian life, of discipleship. I mean, in a sense, in a sense, you can interpret last week's gospel by saying, okay, I heard what you said about dying, suffering, but what I want is, I want to be the greatest. (laughs) I don't want to hear all this other stuff. That's, That's for the crowds, not for us. We're the inner circle. And, um, you know, this past Sunday, the image of the child. You know, I was at Father Allen's um, luncheon and his retirement party, right, at the, at the Fairfield University. And Father Jerry preached the homily. Superb, brilliant homily. Absolutely brilliant. And he again, spoke about the image of the child, right, that we spoke about. And you, so you say to yourself, okay, um, am I willing to surrender all of the privilege and honor and status and all my ego and all of my agenda and all that I'm animating to become like a little child, which the world would consider useless. Am I willing to do that? Well, if you're not patient before the Lord and the mystery of the Lord's love, including the mystery of our suffering, then you're not going to do that. You're going to be like the apostles. Who's the greatest? Who's the least? Yeah. When there's no other way. Right. Right. And you, you need so the Lord. Are you patient? Let me ask you a personal question. Are you patient? I think the reason why it resonated with me this week, Excellency, is because that's something that I'm struggling with uh, lately. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell if it's, uh, I mean, certainly part of it um, is that I'm impatient with people around me lately. But as I'm listening to you, I'm wondering how much of it also is me being impatient with God and saying, come on, let's go. Let's get a move on. (laughs) And, you know, I need to listen to him say, where were you when I founded the earth? (laughs) But, oh yeah, like he did to Job. Exactly. You see, that's the interesting, that's the, you know, it's actually, that's a great juxtaposition because in the end, um, Job doesn't get an answer to his question. He just says, I don't have to give you an answer. I'm God. Yeah. So just get with the program, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which itself is an answer. But yeah, he doesn't. But we do have an answer in Christian faith because we see the ultimate sign of self-sacrifice as the greatest expression of love because that was done not randomly. That was not done because of you know, the frailty of nature. That was done willingly for me. But remember, you could be impatient with three people. God, your neighbor, and yourself. Ah, yeah. Let's talk about that third one. Impatience with yourself? Yes. Do you ever find yourself in that position? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so do I. So do I. And what does it do? When you're impatient with yourself, you're trying to overcome a fault or, or a sin or... 
you know, just a defect of character. And you say to yourself, I'm going to go into this meeting, I'm going to hold my tongue, and 30 seconds later, you didn't even warm the chair, and you're starting to just go off, and, and just, and you say, I'm doing it again, I'm doing it again. <laughs> right? And you become impatient. Well, in my experience, when that happens, that's just another way to continue to discourage me. Right? So that's the voice of the evil one saying, you're never going to do this. Yeah. Don't even bother. Right? Because if you're going to be patient with yourself, you are going to fall. Eventually, you will grow. But why bother? Don't waste the time. You're never going to be able to just do it. It is what it is. People got to accept you. So in the spiritual life, the opposite of, of patience is not always impatience. It's discouragement. Hmm. Okay. When you're impatient with yourself. And I think a good amount of good people are precisely because they really want to strive to do better and they're very hard on themselves. In fact, harder on themselves than they are on the people around them. Yeah, that mm -hmm. resonates. Right. As for the people around you, the real question is this. If you hold people to a standard, do you hold yourself to the same standard? If you're impatient with the people around you, is it because they are doing less than what you would do, more than what you would do? Many times, my experience in, in the relationships I have, that it's not always because they are not performing. Maybe they're not performing it exactly the way you like, exactly the way you want it. Right. Well, maybe the exactly the way you want it is not the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Is that another way of saying, uh, who are you to set the standard? Or, well, well, the, well, in the end, there's, there's all of these virtues are so intertwined, right? But I think in the end, if 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 we in our interactions with people, if we are impatient with them, and we continually are impatient with the same people. We do have to take a step back and say, what is motivating this? Mm. What is really animating this? Yeah. Right? And sometimes it's another sin involved. It's a deeper sin. Many times it could be pride. Right? That's doing that. So, um, I think you started to talk about this, Excellency, but so give, give me, give our listeners, especially give me... <laughs> You know, concrete ways. Okay, what can I do to increase my patience here? What can you said? You know, spend time uh, in front of the Lord. Yes, yes. Uh, well, I, I, I certainly I think st spending time before the the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and reminding ourselves that that sacrament is the sacrament of Christ's crucifixion is the greatest remedy to impatience. Right. Gazing upon the suffering Christ puts everything else in our life into perspective. Right? But I also think we need, in our examination of conscience, to always ask the question, the deeper question, why am I reacting this way? Why am I impatient with my wife or with my children? Or why, do I, why am I impatient with even myself that I keep falling into the same pattern, the same behavior, and I'm not even trying anymore to change, right? I think that there is a need. And then I think there are just ways by which, the, you know, to know <laughs> the old techniques, count to 10 before you do anything or say anything. Well, there is truth in that. There is some truth in that. Because patience is the waiting so if you find yourself about to say or do something that you know you shouldn't do, then you have to make a conscious decision to suspend what you're going to say or do, which makes you, by default, patient. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's almost, um, not artificial is not the right word, but even if it's a forced kind of uh, patience like that, it's still increasing the virtue. Absolutely. Right, right, because it, because it begins to root in you, and then you will eventually do the same thing for more profound reasons. Yeah. Right? 
It's like boot camp. You learn, and then it, you, you get into shape. <laughs> right. Same thing. <laughs> right? It's the same thing. Yeah. Right. The one thing I will say is this. I, again, for our young people, I feel very... Um, I'm very anxious for them in this regard because we live in not only a spontaneous but instantaneous society. That everything is at your fingertips and it's instantly so. So we don't need to go get in the car, go to the store, buy something, come home. Now you could just sit there and instantly buy it. Right? Yeah. In which case, I worry that that creates an expectation in life that does not foster a sense of patience at all. Right. I want it. I want it now. I want it right now. Right? Yeah. And and that bleeds into the spiritual life tremendously. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like silence daily time in silence is is a, is part of the cure for that. What do you think about that, Excellency? I would think so. Yeah. Again, because silence is creating the space where in prayer really isn't it an exercise in patient waiting true prayer where you stop praying prayers but pray yes sit in the presence of god isn't that patient waiting for what the lord chooses and whenever he chooses and how he chooses to move your heart speak to your heart speak to your mind speak to your spirit yeah yeah i love that there's a difference between being in prayer and saying prayers Without so. a doubt. And, and many of us who are religious say lots of prayers, but not necessarily enter into prayer, right? right? And even when we enter into prayer, I must confess, you see it at holy hours, I see it many times in adoration, people come into the presence of the Lord and they occupy themselves with 10 million spiritual exercises, novenas, rosary, this, that, the office, the hour is gone, and I say to myself, again, being the judgmental person I can be sometimes, <laughs> okay, how are, you, how are we different from the apostles if you spent every waking moment for the Lord doing something? When did you have time to talk to? Like, when did he talk to you? Right? Yeah. You know, I, I was, as we were talking about talking about patience today, I couldn't help but think because I pray for more patience all the time. And then it dawned on me. Have you ever seen this movie, Evan Almighty, Excellency? Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so my yes. kids and I love that movie. But there's yes. that, uh, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, it's in a nutshell, it's about a freshman congressman in Washington, D.C. who believes that God is telling him to build an ark and to be a modern-day Noah. But um, the scene that really, really resonates with me, Excellency, is so everybody eventually comes to think the guy is crazy. Even his wife becomes just really upset mm-hmm. with him. She doesn't know what to do. And she happens to meet mm-hmm. God in a restaurant. You remember that scene, Excellency? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she meets God in a restaurant. She thinks he's a waiter. Um, but he tells her, he asks her what's wrong, and she says, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he says, if someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? And <laughs> the real school to learn it. Yeah. So he's not just going to zap us with a certain temperament. Yeah. Right. Like, how do you learn music? How do you, how do you learn to play a piano unless you sit in front of it and start to play it? You can read all the theory on earth. Same thing. So if you are impatient, perhaps you and I need to pray for those opportunities where we can, we can be invited and challenged to be patient. And even if we fail, ask for more to learn better how to be patient. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you, Excellency. Great. Great message for me, and hopefully it resonates with some other folks out there. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll have a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Want to make a difference at work? Veritas Catholic Network is looking to hire a full-time development director. If you're organized and you have sales or fundraising experience, if you love the faith and feel called to evangelization, if you're looking for something more meaningful, 
email info at veritascatholic.com. We're hiring, and you can help take Veritas to the next level as we grow and continue to reach more and more souls with the incredible, saving words of Jesus Christ. Email us about the development director position. It's info at veritascatholic.com. That is info at veritascatholic.com if you're interested in joining the Veritas team. And welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, hard to believe we've come to the part of the show where we get a listener question. Mm -hmm. So here it is. Uh, Listener emailed in, thank you for your uplifting words every week. I am learning so much from your show. I'd like to learn more about scripture and beginning reading the Bible in more depth. Where would you suggest mm-hmm. I start? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a tremendous question. And I think the answer to the question lies on the preferences of the person asking the question. Right? Because um, there are a, a, a tremendous amount of materials available uh, that are introductions to sacred scripture. And perhaps we could post some of those, right? For, sure. for, um, for the benefit of everyone listening. But if you are more of an audiovisual person, um, such as, for example, those who like this sort of venue, podcasts, uh, there are tremendous resources that come out of the Augustine Institute, for example, all right? Uh, and the platform formed on scripture that would be a tremendous way to start, right? Bishop Barron, Word on Fire, has tremendous resources online. So it really depends on your preference. Now, you see, I personally have evolved over time to much more of a visual kind of give me a a six or seven minute introductory video, video, similar to what we did for the ambassador training here in our diocese, right? Although they were much longer than five, six minutes. Uh, I find that much more engaging than to sit down and read because my ministry has me reading all the time. Yeah. So it's kind of like a diversion. And it's because it, I'm a child of my age, right? It's image driven. So I would suggest either those sort of resources online or we could post some resources, right? Yeah. As to w- whatever the preference of the person is. And of course, if there were a diocesan opportunity, like in the Diocesan Leadership Institute here in Bridgeport, we have a number of resources online that are available to anyone, which and they're all tremendous. Or a parish, like Bible study, is probably the best because you meet people mm. and you discuss, and again, listening and discernment, you just, it's just a great way to break open scripture, right? Yeah. So everything you're describing, Excellency, is about really diving in and taking your time. You would not suggest someone just opens it up and just kind of plows through. Well, no, because you miss, for example, the, the historical context, the cultural context, which makes so much, um, you know, recently it was very interesting. I attended a mass, and not to be labeled this, be, be labeled this answer, but I attended a mass of, in honor of Father Charles Allen upon his retirement, the Jesuit. And Father Jerry gave the homily, and he said something that, quite frankly, I did not know, and I found it fascinating. You know, when Jesus says, let the children come unto me, and he made the cultural reference in the time of the ancient world that a child was really considered a non-entity, had no rights, had no privileges, because it couldn't contribute to society. Couldn't go to war, it couldn't produce food, it couldn't work the land. So it was to totally disenfranchise. Now we look at a child with great sentimentality, but the Lord was then teaching something different that he went to the mo- the most marginalized of all people and said, be like them mm. with the Father's love, which gives a whole new perspective on what the Lord is teaching. And of course you need the cultural content. And I am a bishop and I did not know that. So yeah, you're t- opening it up, you're just skimming. You need the help to get deep into it. Great. If you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it into us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. We would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming 
Pastoral Ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thank you so much for another great week. Um, Yeah, thank you, you, Steve. Would you please give us your blessing before we go? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, send your blessing upon us as we continue to do the work of this day, that all that we do and say may give you honor and glory. For we ask this as we ask all things through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, my friend, I'll see you next week. Thanks, Excellency.